0: Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Across the Airwaves, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, allowing news and opinions on the television industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your superheroic host, and with me, of course, is my co-host. Hey
1: everybody, it's Nico. On this week's episode, we will only have a review of Castle, because Chuck, Bones, Fringe, Smallville, and Supernatural are still on hiatus. However, we have a little extra time today, so Dan has asked Michael to join us for a discussion on Cartoon Network's hit new series, Young Justice, featuring many of the DC comic characters that have appeared on Smallville.
0: Yeah, but we do have some TV news. We
1: do indeed. I have about seven stories for us today. Our The season finale date for Chuck has been set for May 16th. Now there's been a lot of talk all over the interwebs about how many people believe this may not only be the season finale, but actually be the series finale. We hope not here, obviously, at ATA, but if it has to be, I'm hoping it will be one of a series finale. FX has renewed its hit show, Justified, for a third season. Now I'm a huge fan of Justified. If you're not watching this show, you are really missing out. Timothy Oliphant stars, and he is excellent as U.S. Marshal Raylan Givens. It airs on Wednesdays on FX, and uh, if you need to get caught up, you can catch the first season on Netflix DVD, and it's currently showing the second season, and when that's over, it'll be available on Netflix DVD as well.
0: And it's very short seasons.
1: Yeah, I think it's only 12 or 13 episode seasons, so it goes real quick.
0: So yeah, so you can pick up on that real fast.
1: Now, we're just about 100 days from the premiere of the final Harry Potter movie, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, which will premiere on July 15th. Yes. Pixar announced Monsters, Inc., the sequel, is actually going to be a prequel. In the 2001 original, Sully, Big Blue Beast, voiced by John Goodman, and Mike, the eyeball with legs, voiced by Billy Crystal, were just a couple of working stiffs punching the clock at the screen factory, which, as you probably remember, generated power for their world. But last Tuesday, Disney Pixar announced the long-awaited next film in the franchise would go back to their days as college students. Monsters University is set for a late 2012 debut, and both Crystal and Goodman will return as the main characters. Yes. That sounds awesome.
0: Should be exciting.
1: We posted the newest trailer and promo video for Steven Spielberg's Falling Skies series. Yes, it sounds like every week I'm saying the same thing, but every week they come out with a new trailer or a new featurette or a new promo. So we're posting them because I'm really excited about it.
0: Yeah, it looks you really can, cool.
1: Yeah, you can check out the video. As I said, it's on our Facebook and Twitter pages. And a great interview with Noah Wiley mixed in with the great scenes from the show. So you get a little bit of preview and a little bit of voiceover and uh, interview with uh, Noah Wiley. So it's really actually a decent video worth checking this one out, um, especially if you're as psyched as I am for the uh, start of the show this summer.
0: Yeah, Noah Wiley, if you haven't watched him on ER... Is a very, very good actor. So it's exciting to see him get this opportunity as well to watch him in this show. Yeah, and he did a
1: couple of the TNT uh, movies the in the Librarian series. And the first, two, or first one was really good. The second one was okay. And the third one was kind of okay. That was different. Mm-hmm. And the third one starred or co-starred Castle favorite, Don in it. So... If you are a fan of hers, I recommend watching the third one. Otherwise, just watch the first two because they were they were pretty good. But this looks like it's going to be as good as anything TNT is putting on the air. So I'm really psyched for it.
0: Yeah, and if you got Spielberg's name on it, it's going to be really, really great. Yeah, our fun. sixth
1: story, our <laughs> our sixth story tonight. Mad Men fans can breathe a sigh of relief as A and E has announced. It has renewed the network's flag show for another two years. Big news this week, Mad Men had not had a deal in place. And they announced that they were going to renew it for two years. So they got the big two-year renewal, which is always nice for a show. And a lot of fans of this show were worried because nothing was in place and it could have just gone off the air without getting a proper ending. Now this two year renewal ensures that we will indeed a closing to the series.
0: Yeah, but you're gonna have to wait a whole year until they get new episodes though.
1: That is true. It's gonna be a while before new episodes will
0: air. But it'll be worth now, it. Fi- yeah,
1: definitely. Now finally, Warner Brothers has a Justice League film in the works. Warner's Brothers and its fellow Time Warner subsidiary DC Comics has the big one in the works, as they say, and is undoubtedly going to drop in 2012, or 2013, I'm sorry. Yeah. I know that's a really long way off, but still, a Justice League film in pre-production, that's awesome.
0: Well, the setup may be beginning this summer and within mm-hmm. the winter, so we'll see how that all plays out.
1: This was news that came out as almost like a, a slip of the tongue by one of the big guys at Warner Brothers. He was talking about all the plans they have coming up, and he just kind of slipped in there, and the Justice League in 2013, and everybody was like, whoa, you know, and, like, trying to ask questions, and then he was like, yeah, no more questions. So it was, I think it was an intentional slip, but at the same time, it was, it seemed like a slip. So it was big news, unexpected, and really kind of cool.
0: Yeah, and that really goes along with the second half of this episode where we talk about Young Justice, which is the first step in a big push being made by DC Comics to increase their fan base and really draw attention to what they're doing at their company based on them releasing Young Justice, a new Green Lantern show, Green Lantern movie, new Superman movie, another Batman they're just throwing everything at the wall. And they're also going to be unveiling a new show for Cartoon Network called DC Nation, which based on the information I've read, is gonna be a attack of the show like production that's just gonna focus on what's going on with DC comics and following kind of the making of the Dark Knight Rises and the Superman film and probably this Justice League film on a week by week basis either through the Internet or through their programming. So they've got some big stuff in the works. So this is the company to watch right now. I mean, if you think what Marvel's got going big, I think DC's going to try to top that. So I wish them well with that. We'll see if it happens.
1: Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I didn't know about that.
0: Yeah, they're going all out with this thing.
1: Yes, I like it.
0: So Smallville fans worried about the show coming to an end? Don't worry. There's plenty in store for you to keep up with your superheroes.
1: And that's all the all the TV and movie news I had for this week.
0: surprisingly, we did have an article about Nathan Fillon. But to make <laughs> I did up,
1: post, I ahead. did post something on the Facebooks about Nathan Fillon, but it didn't really translate well to uh, the podcast.
0: But just because we don't have a news story about him, doesn't mean we're going to not talk about him in this podcast episode with our review of the castle episode, Law and Murder." When a juror
1: dies in the middle of a murder trial, Castle and Beckett discover that the juror wasn't really as perfect as he appeared to be.
0: As its title suggests, this week's episode of Castle was slightly different and yet similar as it delves into a branch of the justice system that we have not yet seen on the show, the courtroom. But it was still able to tie back into the police procedure that we've come to expect from the show with the focus on the supporting characters, just like Nico predicted was going to happen. Basically, this focus on the supporting characters started right at the beginning of the episode, as Castle asks Alexis to see a showing of the sci-fi movie classic Forbidden Planet at a local film festival. However, much to his surprise, Alexis turns him down, saying that she's going with her friends out to Williamsburg, but she does something with her nose to make Castle come to the conclusion that she's lying. Again, Martha tells Castle it's nothing, but before he can investigate, he gets called off to this week's murder. And as the summary mentioned, this week's murder victim is a juror on a high-profile murder case named Joe McCusick, who appeared to be killed by the cousin of a car thief for putting his relative in a position where he would receive life in prison for the murder of a young socialite, happened to be the daughter of one of New York City's largest beneficiaries. But that being said, like many of the mysteries featured in this season of Castle, the discovery that Joe paid his way to the jury to prove the car thief's innocence based on some evidence he was able to get his hands on set this mystery up for blowing up into a full-blown conspiracy with the district attorney behind Joe's murder, an attempt at making a campaign towards becoming mayor. At the same time, this notion that Castle and Beckett may be on the verge of uncovering a conspiracy prompts Castle's imagination to run wild with all sorts of references to John Grisham novels, making the book Runaway Jury come to mind for myself and my family who is watching the episode with me. Although before Castle gets too carried away with his imagination, Beckett manages to ground him with some parenting advice that tracking Alexis through the GPS on her cell phone might not be the best idea, and an invasion of her privacy. Moving back to the mystery, like with previous episodes, the possibility of the evidence exploding into a full-blown conspiracy with the district attorney behind Joe's murder ends up being a standard domestic dispute, with it being revealed that the socialite was accidentally killed by her own brother and he killed Joe to erase all evidence of the crime. However, even though it has become expected, the writer's technique of keeping audience interest with the possibility of the weekly mystery exploding into a full-blown conspiracy was able to stay fresh by the district attorney not being behind the murders that occurred in this episode, but playing a part in the conspiracy to cover them up in order to finance his campaign towards becoming mayor. In other words... To borrow from the Dark Knight, Bruce Davidson, who actually also appeared on Psych, keeping in line with our discussion last week, as the district attorney of this episode played the type of character that he is so good at. The White Knight, who works within the realm of Grey to further his personal ambition. Plus, on top of that, having the district attorney be this type of character benefited this story in two very defining ways. First off, the possibility of the district attorney... Simply just being a part of a conspiracy where a man bought himself out to the jury caused this mystery to spin off in so many directions, it was easy for the writers to have time to focus on the supporting characters, such as the scene where Ryan and Esposito are investigating Joe's apartment. And it is revealed that Ryan wants to be more like Castle, which is a plotline I hope we get to see more of, because I thought it was pretty darn funny. Cowards die many times before their death, the valiant never taste of death but once. Bro, you're not Castle. I know I'm not Castle. Then stop trying to talk like him. I'm not allowed to reference the Bard? Secondly, this idea of the district attorney covering up the murder investigation to get in the good graces of high society allowed Alexis's storyline to connect really well with the main plot through her confessing to Castle that she actually went to Brooklyn instead of Williamsburg to return some clothes that her friend shoplifted. On that note, with this whole scene, I didn't see the need for Castle to apologize about tracking her with the GPS, but he pretty much knew that she lied right to his face. Plus, on top of that, based on what we've seen of Alexis' personality, I don't see why she would be hanging out with a crowd that would be into things like shoplifting. But I did like how Alexis, being unable to rat on her friends, caused Castle to spout off that great line, about being angry and proud with her, because it really allowed the conclusion to this week's mystery to really hit home. Speaking of that conclusion, it took place in a really great scene, with an unexpected character, the captain, revealing to the district attorney that what appeared to be a drink between old friends was actually Captain Montgomery getting a confession. In my opinion, this fake-out to basically protect his people as in Beckett, was pretty slick on the captain's part. But I had to feel for the guy when the district attorney, a friend of the captain's that he really respected, started pleading with him to brush his conspiracy under the rug in exchange for Captain Montgomery being made commissioner. Because it just sucks when someone you care about turns out not to be who they said they were. Also, if a scene where a friendship is obliterated wasn't enough, I love the sense of realism that the writers gave to the whole situation, with the great line that the captain mentions to Beckett about the district attorney doing a lot of good for the city, but how his one slip-up is going to be the only thing that the public will remember. Nonetheless, despite things ending badly for the district attorney and his friendship with the captain, I can proudly say that this episode actually ended on a happy note, as unlike last Josh doesn't call, prompting Beckett to invite Castle to go see Forbidden Planet with her under the slight fib that Castle hasn't seen the movie, to allow Beckett to burst with excitement which she describes the film's plotline.
2: You've never seen Forbidden Planet?
0: More of a Star Wars Matrix guy myself. Oh my gosh, Castle, this is the movie that inspired those two. That's it. I'm taking you. My treat. Oh, no, no. I have uh, I plans.
1: Nope, not anymore.
0: And Castle to for once ride down the precinct elevator with a smile on his face. So with that happy moment for Castle Beckett shippers everywhere, what were your thoughts on Castle, Nico?
1: Well, I was watching this episode this week. I enjoyed it. But looking back, it was very much a forgettable episode for me. There were some additional character development scenes with Castle and Alexis and their father daughter relationship, and the whole Castle pretending not to know about the Forbidden Planet film that you were just talking about, Dan, that allowed him to, or allowed Beckett to ask him to go with her to see it. Those were satisfying. But the overall mystery this week and the whole DA going bad idea really were just kind of meh for me. Now, let me clarify. I thought this was actually an interesting premise for a murder. Definitely out of the ordinary, even for this show, especially the murder trial adding a second level of depth to the backstory. And that was a little different than the usual twist in the investigation that we are used to seeing on a Castle show. So that was nice. The corrupt, politicking DA added another aspect to the mystery that gave some needed depth to this episode, but overall did not really do it for me. All these items are usually what make a classic Castle episode, but this uh, episode seemed to fall short in my book and didn't live up to what I'm used to in a classic Castle episode. I don't know what it was. The actors were excellent. The scenes with Alexis were good. They, you know, really, you felt invested in what was going on. It just didn't do it for me this week, and I'm not sure why.
0: Yeah, there were good things about this episode. I mean, that end scene with the captain and the DA was very well acted.
1: Very well. It was very well.
0: It was almost expected, though. Mm Mm-hmm. You saw it coming. And they did the best they could with what they had. But I think the best castle episodes that work the best are the ones where either something really monumentous happens, or there's a theme. Like the soap opera theme last week works so well because it's, yes, it's the police procedural, but there's something different matched up with it. So that makes it more interesting, where this was just straight up law.
1: Yeah, exactly. And on paper, I should have liked this week's episode more than the one the previous week. Because, like I said, a lot of the things in this episode make it a classic castle episode whereas the previous week was a little more campy poking fun at the soap opera medium and them just having some fun as opposed to being a legitimate castle episode but i think that's why i had so much fun with last week's episode yeah and maybe why coming back to this one since it was you know kind of just so-so in my book that it maybe felt even more of a letdown because this had come before the soap opera one, maybe it would have just been middle of the road castle. But since I was having so much fun last week, you know, I I think it maybe just didn't follow up that momentum or that fun having last week on the show.
0: I think that they should have done one more fun one. Like next week looks fun where it's like rival pizza restaurants that are going at it. That looks (laughs) kind of fun. And I think that would have been better to do this week than this one, which was more dramatic. Mm -hmm. Just to get that nuclear bomb out of people's systems. Mm -hmm. Because to go from that to something that's kind of more basic was a big step down. And I know they tried to add the intensity by the DA thing, but I think you and I watched so much TV that it was predictable.
1: Yeah, for sure it was what you expect in that situation.
0: Because it's kind of like you see Bruce Davidson and you're like, okay, I know what's going to happen now. Because I can name about four shows and a movie where he's been that type of character. Where you think he's a good guy and he really is up to no good.
1: Yeah, he kind of has, I don't know if he's been pigeonholed into that or if he just plays it so well that that's what you expect from him.
0: Because it is, it's kind of like the uh, Ray Wise situation. You know, we've talked about him, where he's kind mm-hmm. of the manipulative bad guy. But I've seen him as other things on TV, right? And Bruce Davidson's kind of been the one.
1: It can be very effective to use a character, an actor like that, where you go against what the audience is expecting. Like, yeah. if we're expecting him to be the straight arrow, and all of a sudden he appears to be the straight arrow and we're thinking going to be a straight arrow and then goes bad, which is what happened in this episode. But we were expecting that if it had been the other way around where we expect him to be that straight shooter all the time and he goes bad, that can be very, very effective if you go against the stereotype uh, or the way an actor has been typecast before that can be very, a very effective tool. But unfortunately in this time, they didn't do that. They they went right along those lines, and so people like you and I, who do watch a lot of television and a lot of movies, we were not fooled. We were not right. surprised. We we kind of knew what was coming beforehand. And yes, we get that. We have said that a couple times on Castle that we know what's coming before it happens. But usually we're okay. We're you know we're so yeah. wrapped up in other things that that's okay. They can't fool you every time. They can try, but they don't always succeed. But usually we're so into what's going on otherwise that we can kind of sweep that under the rug. This week I had a little more trouble doing that. And that was the only reason I had some issue with this episode.
0: But the thing is, we have to go along with this. It still was good. It wasn't like they lost ground with this episode. It wasn't like one of those bad Supernatural episodes. That we've complained about this year. Where it's like the characters aren't portrayed right. This is off. Or the Bones episodes where we've been like. Deanna's reduced these actors to buffoons. There wasn't anything like that. It was just a weaker episode. Than what we're used to. But it wasn't a step down for the season. It just isn't going to be remembered. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah exactly. But again it being the only show that really was airing this week, that was major. I think everything else was off for the most part, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, very few shows were, even shows that we don't review here, very few shows were on this week. I think NCIS was new, Justified was new, Big Bang was new. But other than that,
0: I think CBS,
1: yeah, Monday night, this was the only thing on, I think it was the only thing on, I um, new, and I think c b s premiered a new show on Friday this week, a spy show called Chaos. but otherwise, it was a pretty dead week for television, so
0: so I think it was a smart move on their part if they knew this was one of their weaker episodes to play it this mm-hmm. week.
1: Oh, I totally agree with that
0: so that might have been just a good call on their part that they slipped this episode in the it here it's a safe place and we're good, and we can move on. But again, they did push things forward. It was nice to see more of Alexis in this episode.
1: Yeah, you know, I've been mentioning for a while now that we really have not seen much of her. In the last couple episodes, we've been getting some scenes with her, but not as much as I remember from the beginning of this season and definitely from last season. Right. So it was good to see her featured in part of the B or C storyline today. And, you know, that was good in that sense. And like I said, the father-daughter relationship emphasis in this episode and the Castle and Beckett thing at the end, those were two of the best parts of the episode. So definitely those things were good, well acted. And, I mean, with those actors, you expect always, it's never going to be, well, I shouldn't say never, but you don't expect there to ever be a letdown in quality. It's just the story didn't capture us this week.
0: But I think they should let that plot line with Ryan trying to be like Castle. They should run with that a little bit.
1: Oh, yeah. That was actually, when you were reading through, I was reading through your script, and then when you uh, you mentioned it in the show today, I totally agree. I really like that idea that he idolizes or at least admires Castle enough to want to improve himself to be more like it. Because I liked that he and Esposito were going back and forth a little bit about it. At the same time, he's like, you know, I, I, I want to be more like him. You know, I want to be a little more literate. I want to be a little more high class. That shows that he wants to improve himself beyond what's expected of his station. You know, so like most people would not expect your average homicide cop to be like Beckett. Yeah. even, where much more literate, much, not that cops are illiterate, but more, that she's very up on uh, literature, she can go back and forth with Castle, who is an author and that's his subject matter you know, so it, it shows depth of character, and that he wants to improve his depth of character so I really like that idea
0: well, and it also, it's kind of a funny thing with Esposito, because you know, cause he's like, wait a minute does that make me Beckett now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, you got that kind of fun element. But again, it was good to see that. I think Esposito kind of has his thing with the relationship with Lady, and the, what they have going on. And yep. Ryan needed his stitch, I guess, is the best way to say it. So I guess this was a good move on their part to do that that way. So was there anything else you wanted to say about Castle, Nico? No, uh, that's pretty much all I had. Yeah, that, I mean, that's all I had, too. And so with that, we're going to just jump forward And we're going to have Michael join us for our section on the DC Comics new epic animated series, Young Justice. All right, everybody, we're switching over to our Young Justice section of this podcast. And to help me do so, I am joined by one of all of your favorite co-hosts, Michael. And he's going to take it away with the summary.
2: Don't call them sidekicks. Young Justice follows the adventures of the teenage superheroes. Aqualad, the team leader, age 15 or 16. Robin, age 13. Kid Flash, age 15. Superboy, age 16 weeks. Miss Martian, age 16 and Martian years. And Artemis, who's 15. They who finally gained independence from their leaders and the privilege to start their own covert operations team of the very popular Justice League. The series is not based on the Young Justice comic series by DC Comics or any other comic series in particular, but is simply based on various young heroes of the DC Universe who are the psychics and protégés of infamed adult DC superheroes, most of which make up the Justice League.
0: If you are a fan of the DC animated universe shows that came out back in the day, such as Batman the Animated Series and its predecessors, the live-action TV show Smallville, or DC Comics in general, Cartoon Network's Young Justice is the show for you. Because unlike the show's predecessor, Teen Titans, Young Justice, in doing something that I actually really like, acknowledges the fact that there is a DC Universe. Through the teenage superheroes that make up the main cast of the show, actually interacting with their mentors and their mentors such as Batman Superman and all the big time heroes in the DC comics actually have a pretty large part in the show which is a really neat thing and it's fun to watch the show because it's kind of like reading a where's Waldo book as throughout every episode there's a who's who's cast of superheroes and there's a whole bunch of superheroes that get cameo so it's fun to watch this show just on who we're going to see next. And according to Wikipedia, the show so far has featured cameos from 135 characters from the DC Universe, with many more to come. And unlike the show Justice League Unlimited, which also featured a lot of heroes, Young Justice is able to pull off these cameos from every angle of the DC Universe, from the Justice Society to Batman's rogue gallery of villains, without upsetting the showrunners of Smallville, Christopher Nolan, or any of the other directors helming the other DC Comics movies that are in production, because the show's setting takes place on a parallel earth, known as Earth 13, which was created during the popular DC Comics story arc, Infinite Crisis. So basically, Young Justice is a show that takes place within the world or the universe of DC Comics, but is free to be taken in its own direction. Again, for more information about this concept of parallel Earths, they're going to pass things out to Michael with a bit of history on Earth-13, starting with his theory on which DC Universe animated film first introduced us to this world inhabited by the members of Young Justice. So take it away with that, Michael.
2: Well, as Dan said, Earth-13 was originally created after the Infinite Crisis back in 2006, written by the wonderful Jeff Johns. And my theory about which universe this is or what it takes place in is that it takes place within the same universe as the DC animated movie, Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, which is about the Justice League facing off against the evil crime syndicate from a parallel earth which i will not get into because you will either get confused or bored
0: or your brain will explode or
2: your brain will explode yes. yes but the reason i think this is for two reasons two main reasons one is because they use the same animation style now in the justice league animated movie the justice league members look exactly the same as they do in the tv show young justice even their movements and how they interact with each other are the same way they would on the TV show. Now, my second theory of why they're the same universe is mainly because in the first episode, Young Justice, Speedy mentions them having just built a watchtower or the big orbiting satellite in space that the Justice League uses as their headquarters. Right. Now, at the end of Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, they are finishing building the Watchtower for the first time and even add more members to the Justice League at the end of the film. And those members are also seen in Young Justice as part of the rotation of Justice League members. Right. So those are my um, theories right there.
0: And don't some of the same voice actors from that movie have been on Young Justice as yeah, I, the same characters?
2: I think. Nolan North who plays Superman in Young Justice, I think he's the same guy that I don't know for sure. Okay. I know the guy who does Batman in Young Justice is the same one who did him in uh, Batman Under Red Hood. That's right. So the same one is in the Justice League movie, but I think the other guy who does Superman is the same.
0: Yeah, and the Under the Red Hood movie has a similar animation style as well. It, it does, actually. So we can assume that took place at a later date because... The Robin on Young Justice is Dick Grayson.
2: Right. And you see Dick Grayson in Under the Hood as well.
0: As Nightwing, though.
2: As Nightwing, yeah. He's all grown up.
0: So, Michael, I know you had a great point. We've been talking about this outside of the podcast, but you were talking about the reasons why you like this show and a little bit about a comparison between this show and Teen Titans and why you like Young Justice a little bit better and why you feel it's more accessible to... DC Universe fans?
2: Alright, well, my main reason on why I like it better than Teen Titans is because Teen Titans is more of a kids' comedy superhero show yeah, than a full-on superhero show. Trouble, you know and as a comic fan, I tend to like the superhero shows better. I do like comedy with them, but I don't want it to take up more than the action. And I felt that Teen Titans did that more than not. Like in Teen Titans how you never saw their mentors and Batman was mentioned more than once on the show but you never got to see anyone. You only got to see the kids and their enemies who were grown-ups as well and that just kind of bugged me I guess.
0: Well you never saw them out of costume. If they were out hanging out or whatever they were in full costume. Right. like, ready to fight all the time, and that doesn't seem logical.
2: Right, like in Teen Titans Trouble in Tokyo, that animated movie that is part of that series, when Robin and Ben were in Tokyo, they're in full costume the whole time, they never get out of it, which is weird walking around to Tokyo in that uniform, but whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah I, that's a big thing, is it's much more realistic, and again, I don't want to say that this show's not funny at all. No, it, it is. But it's more of the humor you would expect between teenagers rather than the over-the-top anime stuff exactly which i know so, some people you appreciate we're not gonna knock you on that but traditionally with the superhero show we don't really necessarily get that over-the-top anime
2: well, i also do really like the storyline so far on young justice
0: exactly and it builds on itself mm-hmm.
2: and it's very mysterious you really just don't know what's going to happen like in teen titans you could have predicted it but I mean, we'll get into more predictions of the show later. It's harder to pick the show than it would be for Teen Titans.
0: Well, I think it's a very uh, Mm Smallville-like overarching story arc where Mm -hmm. there's a mysterious villain, you don't know exactly what's going on, and you need to watch the show to really get the whole grasp on the story or what's going to happen next.
2: Right. I mean, you could watch any episode and enjoy it, but if you miss an episode and you want to know the story... That you might need to go back and watch
0: it. I still feel like you could jump right in to Young Justin and somewhat know what's going on.
2: Yeah, you could. But I mean the only thing is it'd be a little harder to do that mainly because of stuff like where Artemis comes in. Like right. if you miss that episode with where she first comes in, you miss a little bit of her past there and it's a little harder to get back into it like in the next episode where they're in the desert.
0: And yeah, and again goes, don't look at my memories well, why is that character saying that? And the other thing is with their being New characters on the show, or not so well known characters, it's very difficult to go to Wikipedia and look up that character and find out what their storyline is like.
2: Right, and I think they did that somewhat intentionally, obviously. Yeah. Because they wanted to give it a lot away. But at the same time, you need some of the core characters who everyone knows, like Superboy, Kid Flash, Robin, and even to an extent, Miss Martian.
0: Yeah, but again, new characters introduced into these animated shows that's not a new concept either Harley Quinn who was a very popular villain that worked with the Joker on the Batman animated series was not in the comics It was later introduced because of the popularity of the cartoon show right and this actually has happened with Young Justice we'll get to that in a little bit but there is a character that has now been introduced into the continuity because he was so well liked by the writers of Young Justice
2: created by Jeff Johns, I
0: Yes, exactly. And Jeff Johns, his name's going to be thrown out a lot in this discussion because he is basically the head of DC Entertainment, which basically produces all of the DC animated films that are coming out, Young Justice, and the new DC animated programming that will be coming out in the fall on Cartoon Network. So he's the big orchestrator behind this and creative force and with what we've seen of Young Justice's so far, done a pretty good job.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Right, and he also wrote really awesome stories in DC Comics, like Infinite Crisis, Blackest Night, Green Lantern stuff like that.
0: And I hope things from those really cool stories are brought into Young Justice or connected to Young Justice. Yes. Because they're just too cool not for the audience and younger comic book fans that are first getting into this whole universe to experience because
2: mm-hmm.
0: really young justice can be a gateway for our younger comic book fans to get into this
2: all oh, right like for us we already watch and read comic books and comic book movies and tv shows like smallville or it's a regular comic like justice league of america so we would obviously get into this but for people like well let's say my little sisters or something who watch young justice they're going to want to know more about these characters when the show is over and stuff like that. Yeah. They're going to want to get into the comics and see if they can find these guys and learn more about them and their adventures, obviously.
0: And there's also a lot of kids I don't personally know of anybody that doesn't, but I, I would assume that there's kids out there that just turn on Cartoon Network instead of watch it most of the day. That They probably saw a commercial from this show had no idea about superheroes and went, ooh, cool, I like how this guy can fly, or I like how this person can blast some colored lasers or something, and Mm -hmm. they got attracted to the show, they want to watch it, and now they've been brought into the whole DC universe, and realize that there's this big avalanche of stuff that they can learn about.
2: Right. And once someone watches, like, one episode or something, you see Batman or Superman in there, and everyone knows who they are. Right. And you see them in there, and you're like, oh, that's Really
1: awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's a good thing for the younger kids who might have not been able to see the Dark Knight because it's too scary. Or Superman Returns, that they can see this and get to watch these superheroes. Yeah. So, that's really cool. The only gripe I have with this show is there's a lot of episodes where the characters are not in costume too much. Or -hmm. they fight bad guys not in costume.
2: Like in Welcome to Happy Harbor.
0: Yes, where they just ran out of the city and Kid Flash started running around at super speed, that he wasn't in costume at all, and I think that would make it pretty obvious who he is.
2: Exactly. But, but then again, no one
0: was around. Right.
2: So it's well, kind of like Clark are. on small. Plus, in super speed.
0: True. But again, they've done less of that as the series has gone on as well. Because they did that in episode, like, two or three, and then they did it again and then they stopped completely after that.
2: Yeah. They also did in that one with Amazon, which is episode 5.
0: Yeah, but they were wearing, like, biker outfits.
2: Yeah, that's true. No one really didn't know who they were.
0: Right. And they were, like, going undercover. I don't I don't know. A lot of the things, they have different costumes and different outfits they wear, but I think a lot of that is going to be for the purpose of selling action figures. Probably. Yes. Like, that's a tactic that they haven't used in a while, but Jeff Johns, as someone who grew up in our era, is, I think it's all about bringing back some of the stuff that we thought was pretty cool when we were kids.
2: Mm-hmm. And this is definitely one of them.
0: Yes, and it's exciting. So. And there's more to come, which is even better. But mm-hmm. for now, we could talk all day about all the great things that are going on in DC Comics. But we're going to move into the characters of Young Justice. They're all really cool. They're very well-developed, and they're, they have very different archetypes from each other. Very similar to what you would find on a network drama that we've talked about profusely on this show so it's really kind of neat how this is established so I'm going to get things started talking about the character of Aqualad or Kelder for sure and this version of Aqualad is a new character that was created specifically for the show and he basically is believe it or not I know probably a lot of people think it should be Robin based on the comics but he's the leader of the team and his powers, which are really cool, are channeled through the tattoos on his arms. And they're basically a mixture of Atlantean sorcery and science. And there's a whole episode that it talks about the whole background of him in Atlantis and working with sorcery and science under the guidance of Aquaman, of course. And basically the powers he's displayed on the show so far are super strength, increased durability... The ability to control water, which they've animated really awesome. And he also has the ability to discharge electricity through his hands. So he's got powers that are a little bit different than Aquaman, but it makes him pretty awesome. And it avoids having a situation, like the Family Guy joke, where Aquaman's in the water and a girl's in danger. And he can do nothing because the girl's in danger on the land. So he doesn't have any of those issues. He's just as active and powerful on the land as he is in the water. And basically, on the show, in episode four, I think it is, entitled Drop Zone, which involves the popular Batman villain, Bane, who will be in the next Batman movie, he's elected leader because of his calmness and his ability to efficiently and clearly give orders. But he does state, just to keep all the comic book fans happy, especially the hardcore fans, that he does not want to remain leader and wishes to turn the position over to Robin when he's ready saying that it is Robin's destiny to lead the team. And I think that comes from Batman's connection as he is the one that gives the Young Justice their missions that they go on. So it feels like Batman's grooming him for that role. And as I said before, Aquaman is an entirely new character created for the show by the executive producers. And he was so well-liked by lead DC Comics writer Jeff Johns that he was introduced into the mainstream continuity in the big overarching story that's going on in DC Comics right now called In Brightest Day. that he's introduced, I think, in issue number four. Ed, Michael, you want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on Aqualad? Yeah, I think
2: Aqualad is probably the best choice for the leader of the team, actually, even though I am well known to be a DC Comics purist. But I do think this version of Aqualad is definitely the best for this version of Young Justice. And even maybe in the comics, they made him more like this, he might be a great leader for the team. Titans one day. I think he has a very interesting backstory. Yeah. I, I didn't really see the episode with um, Darth and all that, the original Aqualadar from the comics. Didn't see that coming, and I didn't know how that was going to turn out until way right through. I kind of figured it out, but I thought it was a really interesting twist that yes. he left because he wanted to help Aquaman, and he did stay behind. I thought that was pretty cool. And I do like in the first episode where him and Aquaman, I mean, and yeah. tandem worked together to defeat the enemy. I think it was Icicle,
0: maybe? Yes, yeah, so I think it was.
2: It was either her or him or Killer Frost.
0: I think it was Killer Frost. Yeah, I think it was. I think Green Arrow fought Icicle.
2: Yeah, he did, because I remember he got punched out. Right.
0: Yeah, that's right.
2: But I really did like that fight because Aquaman knew exactly what he was doing, and he has his own powers but Aqualad has his own as well. And since they have different abilities than each other, they worked a lot better together than if they had the same powers where it would be or get kind of boring eventually.
0: Exactly. So it mixes things up. And they've really played up the struggle that Aqualad goes through on this show between wanting to work on land as a hero and being in Atlantis where he needs to be because he has a relationship with actually the real... Aqualand in the comics girlfriend or fiance, I forget what they explain that she is in that episode where they go to Atlantis, but he's in love with this girl in Atlantis named Tula, and essentially he can't be with her because he's on land, and she's gone into the arms of the other Aqualand Garth, and it's just interesting this struggle that he has between not knowing where he really belongs and so this makes him one of the more mature characters on the team because of the sacrifices that he's had to make. that they've done a real good job of introducing younger kids to the sacrifice that a hero has to make without having to do something really drastic or scary.
2: I do think though Black Mana was probably one of the scariest villain on this show so far.
0: Well, Black mana is just kind of scary. Can I get a seahorse? Except on Superfrets. Yes,
1: except on Super Frets. Yeah! Yeah!
0: Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice... Again, this show is not Super Friends at all. No. So don't consider that.
2: No, Super Friends was definitely made for a little kids. This show, yes and no. It's made for everybody. It makes everyone happy. Yeah. But one of my favorite episodes is the Aqualad-centric episode, Downtime? I think yes. it's...
0: Yes, yeah. that's your correct.
2: Yeah, where he goes back to Atlantis on Aquaman behalf, or not really behalf, but he goes down for Aquaman, and, um, that's obviously where the triangle between Garth, the original Aqualad, and Tula, back in the comics, was Aqua Girl before being killed. I thought that was a really great episode, and I really loved how he showed leadership, even with his best friends, Right. To take down Black Mana when Aquaman could not
0: And that episode was just cool, because Black Mana like, invades Atlantis, so there's non-stop action. And it was just cool at being underwater and seeing Atlantis and How they drew it, and how there were similarities between our world, the surface world, and Atlantis, and there was not. And Mm -hmm. I mean, just traveling underwater and getting to see cool things like sea creatures and stuff like that, that's awesome from an animation standpoint. And it's also a great way to catch a little kid's eye who might have popped on Cartoon Network.
2: Right. And I think this Atlantis is probably my favorite version out of NBC Comics' version of Atlantis. Yeah because it works, it all flows very well, no strings attached.
0: Well, there's cool stuff in it, but it's not too over the top that you're scratching your head. Exactly. Like, the whole plot line of the episode was Black Manta was going after something that their science committee found. And that's something that could happen in the real world, you know. So paleontologists could uncover some crystal or something, and the bad guys on the surface world would go after it. So it was a very normal plotline that you could connect with.
2: So all in all, I think Aqualad is definitely the best choice for leadership of this
0: team. Right now, and we'll see what happens with Robin's evolution into becoming leader and their relationship and how that plays out. That could get interesting.
2: Which leads us into our next hero on the list.
0: Yeah, and why don't you take it away with the description on the most well-known character probably in Young Justice, Robin.
2: All right, Robin, a.k.a. Dick Grayson, is the youngest member at age 13, as well as the most experienced superhero on the team. He does not possess any superpowers, however, he is well-rounded in his abilities physically and intellectually, making characteristic use of his strategic intellect and technological experience. His talents include knowledge of martial arts and throwing weapons, gymnastics, stealth and infiltration, and computer hacking. He has a flippant personality and can be heard laughing in combat or sneaking up on villains in order to throw them off. He repeatedly experiments with prefixes, roots, and suffixes in the English languages. Batman has forbid Robin, who is his protege, from revealing the secret identity. So, to start this mm-hmm. off, it was really interesting that they decided to go with Grayson rather than Drake. Because yes. Drake is, is I don't say more well known as Robin.
0: He's been accepted at, in the role of Robin now, I would say.
2: Well, he's definitely been accepted in the role, but I don't know if he's the most well known Robin. Right. But at the same time, he kind of is. Because the current Titans and most, and even Batman animated series, everyone knew this little kid, Tim Drake, was Robin. And Dick Grayson in this show kind of acts like that Tim Drake. Right. Which is an interesting good, good twist. Now, his friendship, Dick's friendship between Superboy, is a lot similar to Tim Drake's relationship with Superboy in the comics. Because it's kind of the superman and Batman relationship. Right. So it's a little different.
0: I would definitely say that. The other thing about there's not really been a Superboy, Dick Grayson, Robin relationship. So the only thing we have to go off of in terms of that is the Tim Drake, Superboy relationship. So it's essentially it works and it feels similar because we don't know any different. Now, Jeff
2: Johns kind of played on Dick Grayson and Superboy being in a relationship. Because of Infinite Crisis...
0: Oh, a friendship. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. Right. Yes. Oh, sorry. This is like Sam and Dean Winchester. They're, yeah. They work together. They're friends.
2: Yeah, they're more one-brothers than anything.
0: Yes. But
2: he, uh, Jeff Johns, hit on that friendship during Infinite Crisis where Superboy and Nightwing attacked the villain's base. Uh, Nightwing had his back the whole time and that's obviously when football went down, but we don't need to get into that right now. But that was a pretty interesting dynamic in that those few pages that we saw friendship build.
0: The other thing is I like Dick Grayson in terms of this show just based on the fact that Dick Grayson is not like Batman and Tim Drake has a personality that is a lot like Batman. There's a lot of similarities made between Batman and Tim Drake and essentially he was kind of set up to maybe become Batman in the future of the Young Justice comics because he is a little bit darker than Dick Grayson. Dick Grayson is more playful and likes to joke around and stuff like that. And so that was a nice move in terms of just having a character that's a little different, especially since Batman has such a big role in the show. But also it was good to set up a difference between Robin and Superboy Because Superboy really has some anger management issues on this show, which he does not have in the comics. So Dick Grayson being there, that's more of the playful one. It kind of makes their friendship like oil and water, so they argue and disagree and stuff, but when it comes down to it, they've got each other's back. Which is more interesting than two characters exactly the same being friends.
2: Exactly. Another thing on the whole Tim Drake-Robin and Dick Grayson-Robin, Comparison. This version of Robin on Young Justice, I think, got some of his personality from the 90s version of Tim Drake. Right. I think overall, he's more like Dick Grayson than anyone. Right. Because, like you said, Dick Grayson is totally different from Batman. And Tim Drake is like a mini Batman, or trying to.
0: It goes back to what you said about Aquaman and Aqualad, in the sense that they have very different powers. Now, Robin and Batman are more similar, but their difference in personalities give them different strengths and weaknesses.
2: Exactly.
0: Like Robin's tactic of attacking people by kind of laughing in the background and using his voice to throw them off is very different than Batman and may be shown to give him advantages in battle. Yep,
2: absolutely. Now, on to our next point, do you then think we will get a Robin love interest? in the form of Barbara Gordon's background on this show? And do you think that Robin will have to face some worse deathstroke or two face?
0: Well okay. What are
2: your thoughts on that?
0: Well in terms of I'm just gonna clear up you got cut off a little bit there. I what he basically asked me is he asked Michael asked me about a love interest, as well as the fact will he potentially face well known arch nemesis that he has in the comics, such as Deathstroke or Two Face? To answer the first question, I don't know if they'll going to love interest because there's so many other love stories going on between Artemis and Kin Flash and Megan, Miss Martian, and Superboy. So I don't know if they're going to have time for it. Again, once those story arcs may get resolved, it may go that direction. I would love to see Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, shop as a love interest for Robin based on the fact that I love the flirtatious Relationship that they have with each other—it's one of the things I enjoyed the most in comics, and one of the things I enjoyed the most out of Batman, the animated series. So, as a complete geek of that relationship, I'd love to see him show up. I'd love to see Robin have some kind of love interest. But I don't know, Michael. We'll throw this to you. At age thirteen, do you think it's kind of weird that they brought in a character like that?
2: Um, yes and no. Okay. Because yes, because. Let's be realistic. I don't think a 13 year old is going to run around as a superhero. Right. And for a 13 year old, this version of is a little tall. Yeah. To be a 13 year old.
0: I didn't think he was 13 when you told me that.
2: But he is. That's the scary part. Right. But um, right. I think no, because in his original origin, Dick Grayson probably was about 13 when his parents died back in the 40s. Yeah. And I think that's kind of how they make it go in the comics, in the DC Comics universe as well. I think that's kind of how it goes. But how
0: does that make him the most experienced hero out of the group? Because I mean, he obviously feels that way when you watch the show, that he's been at this the longest.
2: Yeah, according to what I read, when Young Justice originally came out in this universe, Batman and Superman have only been around for one or two years. Okay. So I get the feeling that Kid Flash, Speedy, and Apu have only been at this for maybe half a year to a year. Okay. the first, because he's generally looked at as the first sidekick.
0: Right. That would make
2: sense. Plus, he's been trained by Batman, so he's kind of the most experienced anyway.
0: Yeah, because Batman knows the most. Mm Mhm. Well, and also I think Robin is the one who's probably looking to go out and fight the bad guys more so than anyone based on the fact that his parents were murdered.
2: Yeah, I I don't know if we'll get this in the show, but I think that um, the reason he's so happy and all that is because if it isn't, he'd turn into Batman and he knows it. Right. I don't think he wants that. At the same time, that's how he feels inside, maybe.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be he needs a way to channel his parents' death and mm-hmm. that may get brought up in terms of him being afraid that he's of becoming Batman. I could see that coming maybe next season. That seems like a season two or three issue. Right, because the show has been picked up for a second season, so alrighty, yeah, which I mean that just tells you how good the show is. Because very right. quickly. Most cartoon shows don't get that. Exactly. Again, cartoon yeah. shows haven't been around for a while, so it's hard to predict the whole process on how they get picked up and everything like that. Because there hasn't really been a show of this magnitude in years. Probably right. since Justice League Unlimited, there's been yeah. a cartoon show that's got this big of a following.
2: Yeah, there's been a void. Well, right.
0: the Batman kind of built it a little bit. I really didn't like that show, but... Right. Justice League Unlimited, I would say, was a bigger franchise. Definitely. I agree. And I feel like the Batman got overshadowed by the movies. I agree. The, the Christopher Nolan movies, yeah. So should we move on... Well, real quick, I just wanted to answer the thing about the arch enemies going to fight Robin. Okay. I would say Deathstroke would be really cool to see. I don't know if it's a good idea to make him show up in the first season because people might start making comparisons between this show and Teen Titans because Deathstroke, known as Slade on Teen Titans, was the major villain on the show. And with Two-Face, he'd be really neat to see, but the plot line we wanted to explain as to how Two-Face becomes... Robin's arch-nemesis by basically kind of beating the crap out of him might not fit this show or be something that could happen within the timeline. It didn't line up. I forget. What was your argument against that?
2: Argument against
0: what? What was your argument against Two-Face showing up and being a nemesis to Robin besides just the fact beating the crap out of him was too much for kids watching the show? Well,
2: my other argument against that was mainly that not all of Batman's rogues gallery can be established within a year or two of this universe being available. And the other reason is that 2,000 degrees and are more enemies when he becomes Nightwing.
0: Exactly. Okay. So with that, let's move on to Kid Flash. Kid Flash. Not Kid Flesh. (laughs) Sounds like a character in a horror movie. But let's move on to Kid that yeah, zombie. Let's move on to Kid Flash Wally West who's my favorite version of the Flash that the Flash I grew up with again first he was Kid Flash that he was Flash, that's when I came on the scene in comic books but he is basically the team 15 year old speedster unlike the superhero that's currently in the comics. And he has an ant speed which allows him to run very fast and revolve in place, creating a localized tornado. Kid Flash cannot vibrate his molecules through solid objects like the Flash and instead gets a bloody nose during the attempt. So his powers have limits compared to the Flash of the comics known as Barry Allen. He has a very laid back personality that enjoys flirting with women getting some great comedic scenes on this show. And his favorite people to flirt with so far has been Miss Martian and Black Canary who is dramatically older than he is. And Kid Flash and Robbins are good friends that mainly comes with the fact that they have ...a very similar personality. And also, Kid Flash seems to be... ...one of the first sidekicks... ...after Robin on the scene. So, they're good friends... ...and they know a great deal about each other... ...more so than the other team members. And Wally... ...he seems to have this habit... ...of liking to collect... ...items from the team's missions. Such as T.O. Morrow's ...Robotic Eye and Cheshire's Mask. And I have a feeling that him collecting all this stuff... ...is going to come in handy when they take on a major villain, maybe down the road or in the season finale. So with that, as kind of the ladies' man of the group, Wally has a love triangle going on this show, which is pretty hot and heavy and very realistic to what a teenager was going through. More so than I would expect from a show like this, but they're handling it very tactfully. And basically this love triangle is going on between Megan, aka Miss Martian, and Artemis. And my question for you is, Michael, how do you think it's going to play out?
2: Well, obviously, as we've seen, and we'll talk about later, yeah. this Martian really isn't interested in Wally. I mean, she loves him like a mother, as she said, because she's her eyes are set on Superboy. But uh, Artemis, I think he might have a shot with, mainly because they don't seem to like each other, which is always a good time. But uh, as we saw in the episode, where they get their memories erased in the desert. Flash and... Automatically hit on each other and right. they don't remember anything that's happened in the last six months, which is pretty funny because when they find out later, once they get their memories back, who they are, they kind of go crazy on each other again. Yes,
0: which is always uh, fun. Go ahead.
2: So, I know. I'm good.
0: Okay, yeah. I was just saying that's always an entertaining thing the love hate relationship. Um, it always keeps you interested. I don't know how much it does for little kids, but for the older audience watching the show, I would say it's something that definitely keeps their interest.
2: Oh, definitely.
0: So thats it's always fun to see what's going on. And again, we don't know who really Artemis is and what she's up to, so we'll see how Wally is going to react to it. I mean, he's pretty laid back right now, but we may see some more emotion with him when he figures out kind of what's going on with Artemis and It seems like she either is set to kill him or set up to kill him because in that episode you were talking about as well, she mentions that her dad trained her to kill Kid Flash or something like that. Hmm. So there's something going on with her as to why the hate side of their love hate relationship is going on.
2: Yeah, I think. Well, okay, let me throw out a little theory there because. Once you were saying that, I kind of strung something together. This <laughs> compares between the Teen Titans TV show, right, and this show, but I think Wally is kind of like our version, the Teen Titans version of Beast Boy. Yes, because he whole- kind of the kind of ladies' man and all that, and his relationship with Terra is a lot like his Wally's with Artemis here. Right, and I think it's going to play kind of the same way.
0: Yeah, I think there'll be a betrayal in the works. But I don't know if it's going to end with Artemis sacrificing herself.
2: I don't think so. You never know.
0: I think we may get a redemption plot line, just to make it different.
2: Yeah, I hope so, because I do like the character of Artemis, no matter how serious she is. Right.
0: But uh, Betrayal is the plot line that superhero cartoon shows like to play up. Yeah. Because there's about three yeah. superhero shows that come to mind that had a character that was on the team... Yes, they do. ...betray them. So... T Titans is one. I would say the X Men animated series is another example. But going back to Wally, I have to say my favorite scene with him so far was when he basically a bad guy attacked him or something at a swimming pool. I think they were at a university or something, and they get attacked by a bad guy, and Wally gets knocked in the university swimming pool, and he almost dies, and Miss Martian has to give him CPR. And basically later on in the episode, he announces to everybody, in front of Artemis, who he kind of likes, that I can't be
2: mad at you. You you gave me me nothing enough.
0: We heard that! that? Dang it! And that was hilarious, and I just think it's hilarious how Miss Martian doesn't really want to have anything to do with Wally. He has the hots for her. And Miss Martian, because she's not from Earth, she's kind of oblivious to some of our customs. So it's really funny when Wally's coming on to her and she doesn't really get what's going on. And then once someone explains it to her, she grosses out and stuff. So it's a real fun thing. Again, that's a traditional maneuver by comic books. They used to do that all the time with Starfire on uh, T Titans, where she wasn't used to our customs on Earth. Then she'd get confused as to guys hitting on her and stuff like that. So that's a very traditional thing. And also, they did that in a lot in the comics. Wally had a tendency to hit on uh, Donna Troy, which was Wonder Girls i mean wonder woman's sidekick in the comics and their flirtation wally would always get the shaft so it's funny to see that again that's one of the things i loved about the wally west character is how he could flirt with women and always get the shaft and get into trouble with girls all the time it was fun again in the comics wally doesn't do that so much anymore because he's married now and has a family but this is the traditional wally west that i know and love and it's great to get to watch him on a weekly basis again so with that we're going to move into one of michael's favorite characters who also happened to make an appearance on Smallville And we discussed him on ATA a couple of weeks ago Superboy So Michael take it away with your thoughts on him
2: Superboy departs from his normal comic book origins And has a new take in the show Created by the producers as a 16 week old clone of Superman Who eventually assume the alias of Connor Kent. Although he does not have all Superman's abilities He does have super strength, increased durability, super hearing, and supervision Which also allows him to see in infrared. Superboy is ill tempered and hates telepathy as a result of him being mind controlled by Cadmus. His non existent relationship with Superman causes him to become more angry and very irrational. Now, as I just stated, Superboy has anger issues compared to his comic book counterpart, and that was intentional on the part of the creators to make him different from the character of Robin. And also, I think another thing that helps him stray from the character Robin is that Superman and him don't really have a relationship like Batman and Robin. But right. so we'll talk about that in just a second. So Dan, what are your um, thoughts on his anger issues?
0: I was surprised to see him as angry as he was because to me, as far as I've known, and again, this character has not been brought to life in animation, so I didn't really hear his voice in my head compared to some of the other characters where when I'm reading comics I hear their voices on the Batman animated series and that incarnation of the DC Universe but I was very surprised to see him have the anger issues. I really like it though because it's channeled by Superman not accepting him and it's a very good ongoing plot line for this show with him having to almost prove himself to Superman and that's really interesting and Getting to see Superman struggle with his acceptance of Superboy is another interesting thing and I love the episode where Batman was trying to convince Superman to take Superboy under his wing. I really like that and I like it when Superman is challenged by something or sometimes doesn't necessarily do the right thing. Again, I know he's perfect and he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders, but I do like seeing him kind of uncomfortable or out of his element it makes his character more interesting so it's fun from a Superman fan angle to get to see that as well I really like what's going on with Superboy I have a feeling he's going to get more mellow as it goes along but every team of animated superheroes but this goes back to one of my favorites the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles needs to have that hot head on the team and Superboy was the character that made the most sense because he has the most power so that makes it scary that he's the hothead because it makes it more interesting. And you're like, oh, no, what's this guy going to do? So it adds the suspense to it, which is really cool. And it also makes things challenging for Robin. Robin's a very confident person. And to see him as kind of the weakest member of the team, the guy who doesn't have the powers, being the one that calms Superboy down most of the time as his friend, that's very interesting to see as well. And again, I think we'll get more of this Superboy personality issues, as I think it'll come out of the bag, that he is part Lex Luthor and part Superman. So that'll be interesting to see how that plot light plays out as well.
2: Yeah, I agree. Although, when it's revealed, if it's revealed, that Superboy is part Lex Luthor, I think that'll actually push Superman away even more. Yes, Funny. Unless they try and explain it, kind of like they over him and next to friends. Then he might want to find a Superboy,
0: and it may go that way. Actually, I wouldn't put it past him.
2: No, I wouldn't either. I it would be very interesting, very cool.
0: I know they have. I think they have their Smallville audience watching this show, especially since it's on the same night. Right. So I think for them that'll be a good thing, and also Superboy is going to earn his alter ego of Connor Kent. So I think that Superbad may get. Pushed farther away from Superboy, but then do a complete one hundred and eighty after some event occurs throughout the course of the show. So right now, I'd say that's the most interesting dynamic between characters to watch on Young Justice, and to see Superman accept this Superboy will be a really neat plot line to see.
2: I really do think that Superboy though does look up to Superman. Yes, he, I mean in that first episode or technically the second episode, where he looks at Superman as he's flying down toward him. I mean, he looks up in amazement, like, oh my gosh, I might become him one day. Right. And also on the episode, uh, Schooled, I believe it is, the fifth one, with the same one you talked about where Batman talks Superman, Superboy got really upset when Superman didn't accept him, which obviously means that not only does he want him to accept him, but he obviously looks up to him, too.
0: Definitely, I, I agree with that looking up to him. I just think really why he's so angry at this point with Superboy is that it was almost heartbreaking to him that Superman said, I don't accept you. I mean, talk about a punch in the gut.
2: Yeah, but at the same time remember he was also experimented on and all that in Cadmus. Right. He was angry angry in those first two episodes when they were trying to wake out. But don't you almost think that maybe, and this is my theory, that they might Superboy-like Kind of somewhat like Doomsday in Justice League or Justice League Unlimited, where he's basically just trapped in a room with Superman around him or pictures of Superman around him all day. So maybe that could be what is anger, and Maybe that's why I want him to accept him. Yeah. Uh, and I,
0: I also think he's having an identity crisis. He doesn't know well, who or what he is.
2: Well, it's only called Super Bowl.
0: He doesn't have an identity yet, so. And also, he was designed to be a weapon. So he's almost got to break out of that framework that was, you know, downloaded in his brain or that way to think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and with that, I'm kind of going to segue into our next character because I really think her personality, because she's so different than him and calm, that she's going to play a big part in mellowing him out and helping Superboy find his place in the world because she's looking for it too. And the character that I'm referring to is Miss Martian, or Megan, as she goes by. I'm not going to try to pronounce the character's last name. Uh, The Martian lingo is kind of tricky for me, so I'm not going to bother butchering that. But Miss Martian, a.k.a. Megan, is Martian Manhunters' 16 16-year-old niece. And she's a recent arrival to Earth, as well as being a very inexperienced superhero. And as a Martian, she has telekinesis, telepathy, and flight. And additionally, she can shapeshift, though she has trouble mimicking men, which gave us a hilarious scene in one of the episodes, and she has stated that on at least one occasion she could not become intangible, as her uncle the Martian Manhunter can, implying that this is an advanced skill for her species. She also owns and pilots her own bioship, which can fly, transport the team, that turn invisible. Her personality, she's very kind, optimistic, and somewhat naive based on her being a newcomer to Earth. And she often has a tendency when she does something dumb to say this hilarious trademark line of
2: Hello Megan!
0: when she suddenly realizes something. And because of this feeling of being an outsider and her being naive, she immediately develops a crush on Superboy, kind of overlooking his anger issues and not really at him like a deadly killer like i think the rest of the team does so the big question is with miss marsh's relationship with superboy will they hook up michael and do you think this show is going to really dive into a full-out romantic relationship between characters because teen titans they always kind of pranced around the idea of robin and starfire having a relationship And they never really dove into it. Do you think that they're going to dive into it with Miss Martian and Superboy? Sadly,
2: no. Okay. I don't think so, because this is still a show for kids as well. Yeah. And if you do that, that's kind of telling kids, hey, you guys should go do it too, even because it's cool on TV, you know? Right. So I tend to think, no. But since this is a different version, and this is different than Teen Titans, I want to hope for the best, so I wanna say yes, but I don't think so.
0: I think we may get an occasional, we may get like a kiss on the cheek kind of deal. Yeah, I was in Teen Titans as well though. Right, that's why I'm saying it. Yeah. Because I do really feel like that her feelings or affections for Superboy is going to help him with his anger. And again, I know that's a little advanced to say for a kid's show, but that's just how this show's structured. It seems like everything that happens on this show is for a very important reason.
2: Yeah, every episode has kind of been important for the whole plot line, so I'd agree with you there.
0: Yeah. Now, my other question for you is kind of going on the flip side of what's going to happen with Superboy. Do you think something's going to happen to Megan's character where she's going to become darker throughout the course of the series? And will it have a connection to the arch nemesis of the Martians, the White Martians?
2: Well, I don't have a definitive answer for this because... I don't want her to become darker, but right. I think there's a possibility she might, like in the current comics with Supergirl, and it might have a connection to the White Martians. But I want to put it aside because we don't know who these people are who are hiring all these villains. Right. And we've only seen like white bursts basically on TV screens. It could very well, be the White Martians. I don't know, and I don't presume to know anything of it. But in the comics, I do believe Miss Martian is a White Martian.
0: Yes. GS.
2: Yes. Okay. So then I have to say maybe.
0: I read there's a Wikipedia article that's really well done and really well referenced on the internet right now that maybe you should all check out. And it's said specifically they did not want to make her a white Martian just because it would confuse the audience they thought. Okay. So but the white Martians could be involved with whatever the big plot line that's going on throughout the course of the season is. That's my guess. We'll see.
2: Yeah, I mean, we never know. Maybe yes.
0: I'll so, out. so are you good to move on to Artemis then?
2: Yep, I'm cool. All right, let's do it. Artemis, a.k.a. Artemis Croc, is the team's 15-year-old archer. She has no superpowers, but is very skilled with a bow and arrow. She introduces Green Arrow's niece, though it is later implied that she is not. Red Arrow believes there must be a good reason behind Green Arrow's decision. To add her to the team and therefore agrees not to reveal his suspicions to the rest of the group, but he warns her not to hurt his friends. Artemis has a sassy forwarding personality, causing friction between her and Kid Flash. And after suffering amnesia, Artemis identifies her father as the person who taught her how to use a bow, and then assumes that one of her father's tests was to kill Kid Flash. So, my question for you, Dan, is our relationship with Wally? Do you think she has a thing for him, or do you think she wants to kill him or something to him?
0: I think that she has feelings for Wally I think when she met him she was not expecting to have those feelings and not expecting him to be as goofy and relaxed and fun loving as he is so she was very caught off guard by it and I think as a teenage girl very rapidly developed feelings but the problem is I think she has someone in her life that has told her or made her think she needs to kill him and that he's a bad guy and so she's constantly going to be pulled back and forth between the Young Justice team and what her father or whoever trained them wants so there's going to be a lot of struggle and she's going to debate does she want to be with Wally or does she want to go with her destiny that's set for her so I think that's really how it's going to work out so I think she does have feelings with him but she may have to kill him for the sake of making her family or getting herself out of danger
2: Okay, I agree I do think she has feelings for Wally but I don't know if she's there to kill him or anyone on the team because I don't think Batman or Green Arrow would intentionally put the kids in danger by adding her to the team like Red Arrow Speedy said he thinks there's a good reason for it even though he has his own suspicions so I want to say that she isn't there to do anything but I'm also thinking that maybe she might be
0: I see that too, and I feel like this father that she mentioned has been taken out of the picture in her life, Mm -hmm. and I think Batman and Green Arrow kind of have this vibe that he's not coming back, or he's taken care of. And I have a feeling things aren't going to work out that way. You know, There's something that they missed. Mm -hmm. Because I do feel like this show, a lot of times on these types of shows, and this is going back to a really old example, so... If people don't get this right away, that's cool. But on the show Johnny Quest, it was about a kid who was raised by his bodyguard and his dad that's a scientist. And mainly the episodes are about them trying to stop the bad guys. But There's always something that the dad and the bodyguard race forget or they miss. And then Johnny has to come in and save the day. Because they're adults and they miss something. And so I think that you may see Green Arrow or Batman make a mistake or make a decision without seeing the whole picture so that there's room for the Young Justice heroes to come in and save the day and be more accepted by the world as a team of heroes or become one step closer to becoming full-fledged members of the Justice League.
2: Now, my second question, then, because I do agree with what you're saying. Yeah. But my second one is, uh, occasional Young Justice team member Red Arrow Went by Speedy at the beginning, right. and, his three and is three nerves. Ex sidekick claims that Artemis is not who she says she is, which is kind of what we went into. Right. But do you think then she's going to be the team? I mean, we kind already answered this, right? but mainly I would say she'll be tempted. I just think she'll be tempted. I don't think she's going to actually go right. through with it. Because, I think, I, because, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, I think it would make a really good cliffhanger if it looks like she betrayed the team, but the team doesn't have the whole story. Uh-huh. Because that just seems like a really feasible plot line. That
2: annoys me, though, when they do that.
0: Uh, yeah, it's annoying, but that's something they can do to make it look that way, or maybe it just looks like she betrayed Wally. hmm And so he kind of does rogue or does something outrageous, which is typical of his character, and the team has to pull him out of whatever mess he gets himself into.
1: Well...
2: Alright, can I go into comics a little bit here?
0: Yeah, you can go a little bit.
2: Alright, so according to Wikipedia and I I do remember I think reading this in the comics, so I think this is accurate. Yeah, real quick.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Why don't we do a spoiler alert? Just in case this is the way that they go for the comics. Just because I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. So we're going to do a spoiler alert. So turn it off for, what, 30 seconds? If you don't want to get spoiled
2: maybe like a minute.
0: Okay, go for a minute.
2: Alright. Let's go. go for that.
0: Okay, so spoiler um, alert for one minute. Go ahead, Michael.
2: Alright. So in the comics, Artemis is actually Artemis Croc, like in the series, but right. she's the supervillain Tigress, and she's a member of gangs like the Injustice Society, Injustice League, Secret Society, supervillain, stuff like that. Okay. And she also appeared in the Justice League wedding special, which Think it's maybe the Green Arrow Canary Wedding. I think. Yes. Maybe. So
0: yeah. So yeah, I read that. She, You're
2: right. She's a super villain in the comics, and she's—I mean—also she's older in the comics, but she's different than she is in the show, definitely. And her father in the comics is actually Sportsmaster,
0: who was a big villain on the show.
2: Right. So, so, so could it be he's
0: the guy she's talking about?
2: Or could it be someone entirely different?
0: I don't know. I'm not sure. We're going to call off the spoiler alert now. Basically, what Michael's theory is is that Artemis is possibly connected to that gang of villains that we've seen on episodes of the Young Justice show that have appeared on the video screens. And she may have a connection to Sportsmaster, who was the big villain of the episode 4, Drop Zone.
2: So, I mean, I don't know. It's just a theory, but the comics back it up. so I agree. So should we move on from Artemis?
0: Yeah, we're just going to move on to just some real quick predictions for the future of Young Justice. And the big thing was, that I had, this kind of goes back to the Artemis thing, is will Red Arrow eventually join the team? And does his knowledge of Artemis's identity come from having a romantic relationship with Cheshire, who was the villain in the episode, what was the one after Schooled? Oh,
2: now I'm trying to remember. I'll look it up. You keep going.
0: Yeah, she was a villain in one of the episodes. And in the comics, a uh, Red Arrow, also known as Roy Harper, ends up developing a romantic relationship with the villain Cheshire, who's his love interest in the comics. And Cheshire recognizes who Artemis is. So I'm wondering if that's how he knew that's not who she says she is.
2: Yeah, that episode is Infiltrator, the one you are talking Infiltrator, about. Infiltrator,
0: yes. Yep. So, I don't know. What do you think
2: about that, Michael? I think that Red Arrow won't join the team. Okay. I think he will keep doing what he does now. I think he'll kind of be like, I don't say like Batman in the Justice League animated series, because Batman appeared more than not in that series. Yes. But I want to say he has that kind of role, but he'll be less in it than Batman was in that.
0: Okay. And I think it'll be like Robin showing up on the Batman animated series
2: yeah maybe that could work too okay I'm just like a recurring guest star or something exactly now his knowledge of artemis his identity coming from israeli romantic relationship with is business of interest in the comics that's interesting because i think it's a possibility and i think it's a strong possibility
0: well they wouldn't have brought her in there and she's such an obscure villain that it doesn't make sense for them not to go that route.
2: Right. I think it could definitely happen. I think it's definitely a theory and a good one. I mean, we'll have to wait and see, but I think it could definitely be how he knows of her. Because she tended to know who he was. Yes. And he definitely knew who she was.
0: And especially since he was fighting the League of Shadows. That seems like it all connects. Yeah. So I think we'll have a flashback episode about it. Well, speaking of the League of Shadows and who is behind what they were doing in that episode of Infiltrator, do you have a guess on who the mysterious villains are that appear on the computer screens that have been kind of behind the threats that Young Justice have so far been facing this season? I think it has some connection with Lex Luthor due to the all him due to Superboy being a clone of Lex. But again, it could be someone else. I don't know, what do you think? I have a
2: series, like I said earlier, maybe White Martians. I mean, that's more obscure than not. Right. So I don't think that's correct, but I'm just throwing it out there. At the beginning of the series, when I first saw the first two episodes, I immediately thought it was Checkmate or someone to do with Amanda Waller and Cadmus and all that. Yeah. But now I'm thinking maybe I'm on your side. Maybe it's a secret society of supervillains or something.
0: Well, it would make sense that you felt that Artemis may be connected with something like that. Right. So that would all line it up very, very well. Mm-hmm. But again, I like how mysterious they're keeping it, like you said before, because we don't really know what's going to happen with this show or where they're going with it.
2: Because they haven't really had anything like this before.
0: Right. And, and it'd be so well connected and overarching, definitely.
2: Yeah, it's a lot harder to make theories for this than it is for something like Smallville. Exactly.
0: So we'll see where that goes. And this could be anything because they have a whole DC universe to work with and they're not held back by contracts or anything like that. hmm So with that, speaking of characters coming in, the Wikipedia page for Young Justice discussed another hero being added to the team sometime mid-season. That's since Red Arrow's kind of out for you, do you have any speculation on who it might be? Um, kind of, I... I kind of think it's Wonder Girl me too
2: I don't want it to be Wonder Girl I really just don't like Wonder Girl that much I think if you put her in not only do you put the Miss Martian character on the show in danger but you put her relationship with Superboy in danger
0: yes because of just- Wonder Girl and Superboy being connected to the comics for those yeah. of you who don't know
2: and we don't need two or three love triangles for this show
0: now what if it was Donna Troy Wonder Girl and that, that would interfere with Wally and Miss Martin and Artemis. Oh, that's true. See, it's tricky bringing her in. It's
2: tricky bringing any Wonder character in.
0: I really want the Trinity there. I think you need the Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Trinity, and those three kind of overlooking the other heroes. And it's hard to bring Wonder Woman in when you can't connect her to a character on the team. And yeah. I feel like... Yeah. They're going to want to make the Wonder Woman connection because of the TV show that's coming out as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't know for sure. Because Wonder Woman in the show doesn't seem to have a very strong part of Justice League at all. Right. We saw her briefly in the second episode, but that was it. And we haven't heard any mention of her or anything. We've had mention of other heroes, so why not her, right?
0: I would like to throw out Cyborg. Oh, yeah. I know that seems highly unlikely because he's more... He's a T titan, not really a Young Justice character, but I really enjoy Cyborg.
2: I do too. I think that'd be really cool.
1: When there's trouble,
2: you know what to do. Call Cyborg. He can shoot a rocket from his shoe. Cause he's Cyborg.
0: So that would be a possibility. Uh, they've also thrown Arrowette's name out there.
2: But I think that replaces Artemis.
0: Yeah, I, I can see where what may replace Artemis. And again, that may happen because of, depending on where her plot line goes. I hope not.
2: Now, do you think it could be Stargirl, maybe?
0: That would be cool to get that Justice Society connection in there. Because they did allude to the fact that it exists. Right. By Jay Garrick being on there.
2: Yeah, and he would be kind of cool anyway.
0: That would be cool. And Stargirl is such a popular character that that would be really neat to have. So, yeah, they could throw that out. Mm-hmm. There, I have a feeling it's going to be another female character. I too. Just to yeah. balance the team out.
2: Yeah, i say I agree with that.
0: And with that, with the future of the show, and I did recently read a news article that said the second half of the season for Young Justice, season one, is going to have a 10-episode story arc that revolves around the villain Starro, who the Teen Titans faced... In one of their original introductions into the DC Universe. So basically the Young Justice is functioning as that first team of T-Titans that was created. And they're going to take on Starro much like their original T-Titans group. And it seems like this story is going to be kind of a combination, if you've seen it, of the Batman Beyond Justice League Unlimited episode and the popular Marvel Comics story arc Secret Invasion. And basically how it's going to work How it's going to be similar to Secret Invasion is, the Staros basically are evil beings that have the ability to possess people as well as superheroes. So basically you're going to be in a situation where the superheroes may be infected by these Staros things, and the members, the kids in Young Justice, aren't going to know which one of their mentors to trust, and they're going to have to face the bad guys on their own and succeed, which will push them a step closer. The joining the Justice League. So, do you have any more thoughts on how you think that's going to play out, Michael?
2: Yeah, um, well, first of all, just because I know this and I kind of want to throw it out there, the Batman Beyond episode that he's talking about, if you guys want to go look it up or something, it's called uh, The Call, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But, um, no, I think you're pretty much right there. I think it'll be a combination of Secret Invasion and Episode. I tend to think that the Justice League might be the one to get possessed by Sparrow like we've talked about before. Yes. That kind of also alludes to the Justice League of the Future storyline from Jeff Johns Teen Titans comic series.
0: I think that'll be coming.
2: Yeah. I think that'll happen as well. Um, I think we also might get that famous Justice League shot of the the young Justice members flying at Starro.
0: Yeah, I would most definitely think that's going to happen.
2: Which would be really cool.
0: To get the hardcore fans connected to the show, yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And really it'll be neat to see some, how some of these new characters react to Starro and the whole situation.
2: Right. Like, ob- obviously Aqualad will know who it is.
0: It's going to be really exciting to see Aqualad as the leader of this group confront the Starro threat. That's what's going to be fun. Because
2: he obviously knows what it is. Exactly. And I, I think obviously Robin will probably have some idea. Right. And maybe even Miss Martian because it's an alien being.
0: Yeah, it may have something to do with Mars, definitely. I think it's going to connect to all the characters.
2: I think so, too. That would be very cool.
0: And they've already shown a shot of Starro on the show. Yeah. In the episode... Downtime. Downtime, where they went to Atlantis. That was what Black Manta was after, was Starro. And the bad guys didn't get their hands on it. So we'll see what happens. But I also think that Starro is going to get out of control of the bad guys. And they're not even going to be able to handle it.
2: Yeah, I kind of think that maybe Starro will um, not only possess the League, but the villains as well. Yes. And if that happens, the Young Justice team has a lot coming after them.
0: Which will be awesome. It'll be some great animated action goodness. It'll Yeah.
2: Oh, my gosh, yes.
0: That may warrant a TV movie from Cartoon Network.
2: It actually might. That would be very cool. Enjoy that. It would
0: be a big event. It would be great for their network to have. Something that exciting, because they used to do those Justice League movies back in the day, on Saturday night, with In Savage Time, which was a really cool event. So I hope they do that again with Young Justice. I think the show definitely deserves it.
2: Didn't they do that also with Secret Origin and Starcross?
0: Yes. Yes. The okay. premiere episode, like they did with Graduation Day, mm-hmm. with this show, is yeah very similar how they did it with Justice League. So, definitely... Oh, wow. And that might occur the night that they're going to kick off the Green Lantern show and the DC Nation show, which is going to be kind of attack of the show if you watch G4 for DC Comics fans. So again, the last point I had here was a wish list of things we would like to see in the future for this series. I think we pretty much covered that just now, Michael. But was there anything else you wanted to see?
2: Actually, yeah. I'd kind of like to see Dr. Fate again. Yes, I thought that was really well expanded on. I think you could expand more on it. Yeah. I
0: mean, yeah. that was a really great episode with Wally's struggle between science and magic and all that it was really interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. I'd like to have like an opening shot of one episode where you have the mentors of each member of the Young Justice team take on someone as they're like watching. Yeah. That would be kinda of sweet to see the league work together and see how the Young Justice team would work together. It'd be a cool comparison. Yeah, other than that, I mean Lex Luthor, we talked about that.
0: I would love to see Flash's Rogues Gallery, Batman's Rogues Gallery, and Superman's Rogues Gallery. Various characters from that group. Mm-hmm. I um, could Toyman. I can see Toy Man too. Definitely the you know, Parasites of Possibility. Yeah. Brainiac is one. I can't get enough of Batman villains.
2: I want a <laughs> title though. What do you want? Well, like in the Young Justice comic series, I think it was, they had Kid Amazon.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember that.
2: Which was Amazon for that team and not the Justice League. That would be kind of cool.
0: That, well, that's in the cards because they did have him on the show.
2: Had Amazon on the show. But, Amazon,
0: yeah, but yeah. That, that's a possibility. It would be cool. Definitely. I would say the more well-known villains, the better. Mm-hmm. So definitely go that route. But with that, I think we've talked everyone's ear off long enough about Young Justice, don't you think?
2: I would assume so.
0: All right. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining Michael and I. And if you haven't checked out Young Justice, it's an awesome show. Totally worth watching. And if you're complaining, oh, why isn't Justice League Unlimited on anymore? I love that show. Well, check this out, and you will be very well pleased. And for those of you worried about Smallville coming to an end and not knowing what to do with yourself... Watch this show. It's great. It'll give you everything you want. So with that, we're going to jump back for Nico joining us for the closing. Alright, so now that we've jumped onto the closing, Nico, do you want to let us know what's coming down the pipe next week? Sure.
1: On next week's episode, we will be having reviews of Chuck, Castle, and Bones. But Fringe, Smallville, and Supernatural will not be on next next week's episode because they will not have returned from hiatus until the following week.
0: By the way, don't forget to check out our podcast segments on our Facebook and Twitter entitled, Things Learned from How I Met Your Mother, which is just basically things I've learned from watching episodes of that show and spending some time with the great Barney Stenson. And then there's Psych Thoughts, which is a sentence-by-sentence summary about my thoughts on psych. Now, recently, I've kind of fell behind a little bit on How I Met Your Mother and watching that, so that's why you haven't seen a lot of those. But the Psych ones have come pretty regularly this week, and you should be getting more with the next week. So keep an eye out for those. They're picking up the pace, and they should just be picking up more as of next week. Also, if you want to contact us about any of the shows that we normally talk about that were on a hiatus this week, Young Justice, anything that DC Comics has coming down the pipe, or any of our TV news topics, feel free to get a hold of us by visiting... Our website at www.acrosstheairwaves.com. There you can access our email, which is acrosstheairwaves at gmail.com. You can access our Twitter, which is Across airwaves. There's no the, it's just Across Airwaves. You can hit the like button on our page to join our Facebook, where you can get all sorts of TV news from Nico and myself that we update on a regular basis. And you can also access on our website, our YouTube channel run by Michael J. Petty and it features all sorts of promos recently Michael has just put up two TV promo spots for the Green Lantern movie so check out those videos, they're pretty impressive and they feature Ryan Reynolds, an actor that Nico and I are both huge fans of, so check those out and he's also got all sorts of trailers for upcoming episodes of our favorite shows as well as promos for Across the Airwaves events and be on the lookout because we are going to be posting a video and some information about our Smallville Finale live show, which will be occurring the week after the Smallville Finale. So keep an eye out for information about that. It should be coming on the webpage soon, and we should have a video out. So keep an eye out for that. Also, if you want to, you can leave us a voicemail about anything you want to talk about. What's that number, Nico? And also, if you don't want to go back through this podcast to try to catch all that information, you can access it very easily by downloading our Android app for your smartphone. And you can get that through the Android Marketplace or by clicking the link on the right-hand side of our page. And once you get that Android app, you have access to all of our podcast episodes and be able to access our website, email, Twitter, Facebook, at YouTube channel with just a flick of your finger. So check that out. So with that, once again, for our Braid Trust member, Michael J. Petty, and our guest host today, I'm Dan Schmidt and I'm Nico Reichstick. And until next week, we'll catch you all on the airwaves. Have a great week, everybody, and expect some of our favorites to return next week. See ya. I'll
2: just go, I- I'm just your
1: average, ordinary, everyday,
2: superhero Trying to save the world, but never really sure I'm just your average, ordinary, everyday, superhero Nothing more than that, that's all I really am Just a day job, that's all has got to do It's 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 kinda kinda hard, whenever one looks up to Gotta make it look easy. Gonna make it look good like anybody would. I'm just your average, ordinary, everyday superhero, trying to save the world, but never really sure. I'm just your average, ordinary, everyday superhero. Nothing more than that. It's all